the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas have narrowly avoided being worshipped as gods. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium come to persuade the people, stone Paul, and leave him for dead. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 14, verse 19. The title of the message is Fearless Faith. Acts 14. Well, maybe as we read our scripture reading this morning, you thought to yourself, yeah, go get him, David. And maybe you thought to yourself, I wish I could be like that. Have you ever longed to have that fearless faith of a Daniel to pray with the window open, knowing what's coming, knowing the troops are going to be coming for you that day to put you into a lion's den or the faith of a David to take on a giant Philistine with what? Five stones or whatever he had. Most of us probably liken ourselves more to Timothy who had to be reminded that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, right? Some people like to call Timothy instead of first Timothy, first Timothy because he was timid. And Paul had to tell him, don't have a spirit of fear because God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a disciplined mind. Well, on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, they have been kicked out of one town. They've fled before a violent, violent mob could get them in another town, but they did not back down. And why is that? Well, it's because the one who sent them, as he told, John tells us, loved them to the end. And so as we see Paul and Barnabas's love for these lost people, in spite of all the things that they go through, may remind us of the one who loved us to the end and sends us out to tell others. So Acts chapter 14, verse 19. A little context, of course. They've been traveling all throughout Asia Minor, ministering the gospel in that region of southern Galatia. And as they've been ministering there, they get to this city of Lystra. And as they're at Lystra, Paul sees a guy who has faith to be healed and and to be made whole, literally is what it means to be saved and healed. And so he tells him to get up and to walk. And as he gets up and walks, they begin to think that they're Zeus and Hermes and they try to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas barely convince them to not worship them. And so it mentions that they continue to minister there. In verse 19, where we're going to pick it up, something happens. The crisis of rock star preacher is averted, but now a new crisis is found. And so verse 19 starts off and it says, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So these are the two previous towns they've been chased out of. Antioch, remember, they kicked them out of the town and Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet. And then Iconium, they had a plot to stone them. 
Well, these same Jews, they travel a hike over 100 miles for the people from Antioch of Pisidia. And so they head toward Lystra. These guys must have really had it out for Paul to follow them all this way. And on their way, they stop at Iconium and they find the people there really mad at Paul there too. And they bring them as well. And when they get to Lystra, they persuade the people. And then it just comes out and tells us. And having stoned Paul, they drew, they dragged him out of the city supposing that he had been dead. Now, the fact that this was a stoning shows that it was the Jews that were instigating it. That's not how the Romans did things. And so they stirred up those Jews that were upset with Paul and Iconium. They bring them over there to Lystra and it just mentions, apparently they kept it low key this time and they just came upon them, stoned them. Now you would normally take someone outside of the city to stone them, but they did it right there inside the city. And then they dragged his body outside the city, supposing that he had been dead. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I know that there are ways to determine if someone is dead or not, okay? I know that you could check a pulse. I know you could do some other things. It was normal, like I said, to take someone outside the city to stone them, but the zeal against him precluded that. And so the people dragging him outside the city certainly would have checked for a pulse. They certainly would have figured if he was dead. If they supposed he's dead, there's a reason they supposed he was dead. He said, why are you bringing this up? Because some would suggest that Paul did die. And that he describes the incident in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. If you're a note taker, you can do some study on your own. But Paul says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And he describes and he says how that he was caught up into paradise and he heard unspeakable words or things that'd be a crime to try to explain in our language, which it is not lawful for a man to hear. So he describes this guy that went to heaven and came back and saw things that it would be a crime to talk about. And so many commentators believe that Paul did die, that he went to heaven and the Lord wasn't done with him and sent him back. But whether truly dead or near death, verse 20 shows us that Paul was miraculously preserved. We'll get to that in just a moment. But you know, even though he was preserved from death, There's no mention of being preserved from the horrible pain of stoning. Paul, when he would return and he would write a letter to some of the churches he had planted, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you can look at me. You can see the marks of what I've done. You can see the effects of what I have done and the persecution I've experienced. Paul lists among the many other sufferings that he went through in the ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, and I once I was stoned. And so that's what makes verse 20 so powerful is that he lists all these things and yet he's going to get up and go right back into the city, which we'll get to in just a moment. But here's the question. Why did God allow Paul to live through this while others die from persecution? Why? Why do some live and why do some die? Why does a bright star like Jim Elliott or Stephen, as we saw in Acts earlier, die so early in the ministry? Well, the full answer is only known in the counsel of God. As Someone has explained to me, a wise man, something that I've taken to heart. When we're confronted with what we can't know, we have to fall back on what we know is absolutely true. And what do we know that is absolutely true in this case? What could Paul, as he gets up, and I'm sure feeling the pain of being pelted with these stones, what did he know is absolutely true? Well, number one, God loves those who suffer and die. God loves those who have to watch their loved ones suffer and die. 
when you ever don't know what to say to someone, sometimes you, you shouldn't say anything. But if you have to say something, the one thing you could say because you know it with absolute assurity is this, that God loves you, that God loves the one that you love that has just now passed into his arms. Because God never, ever stops loving us. Number two, it also reminds us, or this truth that we know and understand is that none of us know our full allotted time. It's fascinating that every time we see about these plans to do something to Paul, there's buildup, there's mystery, and then all of a sudden Paul finds out about it and then Paul escapes. But this time there's none of that. There's no warning, there's no insight, there's no rumors, there's nothing. All it just mentions here, and they came in and they persuaded the people and they stoned him. There was no time to run this time. No time to, to plot and to send him over the wall or to get him out in the middle of the night. And sometimes it's just the time. Sometimes what we consider to be a promising life is actually different than the plan that God has. But the third thing that we, we know is that wicked men abound. Wicked men abound. And until Jesus comes back, they won't be fully restrained. The horrible things that we are seeing go on. Wicked men abound. And what they mean for evil, God uses for good. But there's one other truth that we can absolutely know in the midst of suffering. It's that the death of any believer is so precious to God. The death of any believer, anyone who would be willing to be stoned for him, like Paul here, that it was precious to him. Psalm 116, when David was talking about uh, his own struggles, he talks about how God delivered him. And he explains how, what shall I do unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. But then in verse 15 of Psalm 116, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When someone dies in the Lord, especially if it's a life that's been cut off or cut short, it is something of high value to him. Paul talks about a special crown, those who will receive, who, who have given their lives for the Lord. And so Paul here, he's stoned, he lives, but we know many others who have lost their life all throughout the centuries because of their faith. It was precious to the Lord. Verse 20, how be it, as the disciples stood round about him, it mentions here, he rose up and he came, this is crazy, he came into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. There was enough time in between the issue of hero worship and the stoning for a church to form because it mentions here that there are disciples. There are those who are now followers. So they want to worship him, but he gets them to stop doing that and he ministers to him. People get saved. He disciples them. He raises them up. And now they're all standing round about him. And it's very likely Timothy was in this group looking at Paul's prone form, thinking him dead, and then he gets up. And he marches right back into the city. <laughs> that he got up must have been shocking enough, but then marching back into the city? Paul, Paul, where are you going? Paul, come back here, Paul. <laughs> you know, that's what I'd be doing. My little girl last night, she rode Everest Expedition for the first time. She's seven. <laughs> and every time I'm seeing that, you know, you get the viewing area, which is horrible. If you have a seven-year-old that's going on a roller coaster for the very first time, because all I'm waiting to see is her terrified eyes coming down that thing and making sure that, you know, praying, God, please just keep her safe. She's so tiny, let her not fall out. It's insane. Why didn't I let my daughter go on this ride? What kind of wife would do that to you? 
And yet, can you imagine anything more inspiring than seeing a man beaten within an inch of his life who loved the people there enough to go through it all again, if necessary, to win one more soul for Christ? Can you imagine? God help us to have that fearless passion. Do what you want to my body. I don't fear you. I fear him. And if one soul could still be saved, maybe there's one person that could be reached that night, he'd go reach him. I remember watching my first pastor love people who stabbed him in the back, preach the word fearlessly and do it week in and week out without complaint. I remember watching Pastor Chuck and the other men at the Bible college who inspired me to know the word and to live for Christ without compromise. I read about Martin Luther standing before men who could end his life demanding that he recant his teaching and he boldly declares, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right or safe. God help me, amen. That's it. Do what you want. I'm not compromising, I'm not changing I'm going back into the city. And when I saw that, I wanted to be that man. I bet Timothy saw Paul march into that city and it stirred his heart in the same way. I want to be that guy. We need that. Paul told Timothy later on, he says, you teach men who will teach faithful men to teach faithful men. And the idea is that just this link that goes unbroken. That's why we need godly men. We need to be godly dads, men. Why we need to be godly husbands. So other people can look at us and they can say, I want to be that. I'm not that yet. I want to be that. To do the hard things. Well, Paul didn't have a death wish, but I imagine the disciples wouldn't have let him stay even if he did. And so the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Derby was a small town about 70 miles from Lystra. It's the one city Paul and Barnabas don't suffer persecution in. And you could probably say the Lord was thinking, I think he could probably use a break today. (laughs) Verse 21, it mentions, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And so it just mentions here in this little tiny town here that they, they ministered to them. They, they taught them. The word there means they discipled them. In other words, people got saved and they ministered the Lord to them. And so they, just real quick, it mentions that. And then it says they returned. Now I would have been tempted to probably hang out in Derby and be like, Lord, this is where you've called me. Derby's good, man. I like Derby. Barnabas, what do you think? Derby's great. And you know, let's camp here and make this a base of operations, you know, and we can always go home to Antioch if any of those crazies from Lister come back and check us out down here. But look at what it says. After he stays there, taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, if you have a Bible map in the back, you'll see that Derby is right by the coast. So if they're going to go back to Antioch, the natural thing to do would be to go down to the coast and to one of the shipping cities down there and port cities and take a ship and go to Antioch. Missionary journey done. But they don't. It mentions here that they return to these three cities where they were persecuted. Why? Verse 22 tells us. As they went to Lystra, the place where he was stoned, Iconium, the place they wanted to stone him, Antioch, the place they'd already kicked him out of. They took away his visa. And he goes back, an illegal alien. He's an illegal missionary. I've heard people ask questions. They say, well, you know, the laws say you can't bring a Bible into this city or laws. Hold on a moment. We are called to obey the laws of the land. We're called to respect the authorities that are there. But if the authorities tell us to do something that God says is wrong or that God commands us to do and they tell us we can't do it, then we have to do it. 
and suffer the consequences. I've heard people criticize we were smuggling Bibles into these cities. Why are we doing that? That's so, that's so shady. Really? Paul is not allowed in this town, and he went. They revoked his visa. They kicked him out. They said, you are illegal to be here. You cannot travel in this city anymore. And he goes right back in defiance of that law because he's commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that they must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So three things. He returns to all these churches that he's planted and he does three things. The first thing is he exhorts them in their faith. He confirms the souls of the disciples. The word confirm there means to give additional strength. It means to make someone more firm or unwavering in their attitude or belief. So he's strengthening them in their ability to continue, it says, in the faith there, exhorting them to continue in the faith, to keep on keeping on. So he's exhorting them in their faith first off, then to exhorting them to stay in there, to keep on keeping on. And then thirdly, that through much tribulation, we must enter or it's necessary that we enter into the kingdom of God. We face many enemies on this narrow road, don't we? Our own flesh, the hatred of the world's way of doing things, the way of the world that hates the way we are trying to do things. And then, of course, the spiritual forces of wickedness that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul and Barnabas don't want them to be ignorant of this truth, so neither should we. We have enemies. That's why the Bible says we got to put our armor on. We're in a battle every day. William Barclay said, Jesus did not come to make life easy, but to make men great. I like that. He saved us to change our lives. He came to bring us into right relationship with the Father and to change us and to use us. Do you realize that each day is a battle? Every day. You might wake up and say, I'm going to work. No, you're not. You're going to the war. (laughs) Some of you are going, I know that. You don't know my job. But whether you love your job or not, you're going to the war. You're going to the war. You're going to guys and gals that want to flirt with you. You're going to guys and gals that want to tempt you to say nasty things about your spouse. You're going to to a place that's going to tempt you to cut corners and do things in a way that nobody else will see, but God sees. To compromise, to let your guard down. Do you realize that every day you need to put off yourself and put on the Lord Jesus if you're to be adequately outfitted for the fights that you'll encounter? Do we take the time each day to prepare for battle, to do some training? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, those famous verses that talk about the armor of God. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I love this. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. You got prepared. You've gotten all ready. Your heart's right. You spend time in prayer. You're seeking God, Lord. Today is a day that I'm gonna walk with you no matter what. And then when you go, you have to, okay, having done all to stand, now I'm gonna take my stand. This is the day I'm going to share the gospel. This is the day I'm going to walk with Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it tells us to put on the breastplate, which is our hope. It tells us to do these things. It's not just Ephesians. The Lord tells us to be prepared for the fight. (laughs) Well, 
verse 23, they had a second reason that they came there and it was to ordain elders. Verse 23 says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they go there to exhort them in their faith by strengthening them, by challenging them to continue on their faith and warning them that, hey, you're gonna face battles. Well, then secondly, they go there to ordain elders. Now, what in the world is an elder? The church is people, and without believers, there's no such thing as the church, right? So this building is not the church. I know we call this Calvary Chapel Orlando, but you are Calvary Chapel Orlando, right? Everybody understands that. So whether we meet in this building or we go into the parking lot over there or we go, you know, wherever we are, we're Calvary Chapel Orlando because of the people who are gathered here. Yet the New Testament also commands local believers to gather together in an organized fashion. You can't have one without the other, okay? Now, part of this organizational process requires leaders. Paul and Barnabas didn't know when or if they would ever return to these churches. So these believers, like all of us, they needed a regular, steady diet of teaching, prayer, and fellowship. And it was the common practice of those who brought the gospel to a new place to train those believers until they could raise up leaders who would continue that work of discipleship. And so here, that's what they're going to do. They've planted these churches. They don't know if they're coming back or when they're coming back. And so they're gonna raise up elders. Now, the word here, elder, is that word presbyteros, which is where you've probably heard the word Presbyterian from. We have a denomination that's known as a Presbyterian denomination. That's where that word comes from. This word for elder here is one of four biblical words which refer to the same office. The four words are elder, pastor, bishop, steward. All four of those words used in the New Testament refer to the same leadership position within the church. Each one of those words emphasize a specific part of what a pastor does, but they all refer to the same office. For example, bishop, that word refers to the leadership and the oversight a pastor must provide. A pastor is to be a leader. He's supposed to make the hard decisions. He's the one that has to provide the oversight in the sense of the direction for the church. Be able to say, where are we going? What are we doing? What's our next step? Our call from Jesus is very clear. We have a mandate to love God, to love others, to preach the gospel, make disciples. We have a mandate from God. So it's not like that's hard to figure out. But in the specifics of what does God want us to do specifically to fulfill that, he has to be able to provide leadership and oversight for that. Now, a steward refers to the managing of the affairs of the church. So the idea of, making sure that the affairs of the church are going on in a above board, above reproach, honest way. Pastor, that word, it means shepherd and refers to the job of feeding, loving, and protecting the congregation through the teaching of the word of God, both in the pulpit and in one-on-one interactions, whether that's counseling, discipleship, that's one role of the pastor. Elder, well, it means what you think. It refers to the maturity. It refers to the length of faith that they can provide a mature example of the Christian life, that they're to model what the Christian life looks like. Now, some pastoral leaders excel in certain areas more than others, and they might even specialize in those areas in a larger congregation. I know where our finances are at. I know budgeting and all those kinds of things, but I don't specialize in that. If I spent all day doing that, then I would not have time to study and prepare. And so, We have another pastor here who specializes in that. But that man also has the gift to teach. He has the ability to feed and to love God's people, to counsel. He has the ability to manage the affairs of the church. He provides leadership and oversight for the church as well. 
And so while some pastoral leaders, like I said, they might excel in certain areas and they might specialize in those areas in a larger congregation, all elders must lay hold of all four areas of ministry in order to be in that office. Again, it's very common these days to find a pastor to be like a CEO. He's the guy, you know, who does the speaking. He's the guy who does the inspiring. He's the guy who does the leading, but he's a garbage teacher. And so they'll say even, well, we have a teaching pastor here who does the teaching. So what are you talking about? You're a pastor teacher. You can't be an elder unless you can have the ability to teach, to rightly divide the word of truth, to accurately relay it to the people in a way that they can understand it. If you can't do that, get out of the pulpit. You're not a motivational speaker. (laughs) You know what blows me away? We know Paul and Barnabas didn't spend years in these cities. So that's a testament to how often these believers met to be discipled that leaders could arise so quickly, isn't it? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is and do it all the more as you see the day approaching. If these guys could meet enough where they could have elders in this short period of time, men that were qualified, that met the qualifications for elder. And that was 2000 years ago. How much closer are we today to him returning? We need to meet more. Again, it's not condemnation. It's just an exhortation. This is that pastoral part right now, okay? This is the shepherd's heart talking. I want to encourage you. I know what I need. And if I'm out of fellowship, if I'm not in a regular place where I'm getting fed and encouraged and strengthened in my faith, I know what happens to me. Ask my wife. I'm not the man I need to be. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.